Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Robert Bohr. Thanks for being on the show, Robert. Thanks, Whitney. Robert is a licensed real estate and securities attorney in Florida. His practice focuses on real estate matters, including syndication to litigation. He's also a licensed real estate school instructor, real estate broker, and title insurance agent. He educates his clients to provide a traditional in-house counsel role to those who do not need a full-time attorney on staff. Robert, thanks again for being on the show today, and I'm really looking forward to just getting into the matter of the securities and what that is and what people need to know about all that when they're getting into the syndication business. But before we do that, tell the listeners a little bit about just who you are and how you got into this business. Well, thanks, Whitney. Kind of a quintessential real estate nerd. Heard all the licenses that I've gotten and instructing and things like that, and that's actually how I fell into into the syndication, I was auditing an investments class for a post-licensed continuing education course. And it just so happened that there was a prominent syndication lawyer who was moving over to Florida in the classroom there. And we were working in the back together and going through the workbook on some of the problems. And she looked over and she said, wow, you know, you might make a really good securities attorney. And I said, well, what do I get a gun? What is that? And she started to explain her business to me and the part that she did in real estate and was fascinating to me because I'd seen these investment models before. I'd seen a lot of things done wrong, things that are called joint ventures or things that are, call it what you will, but they end up being securities. It's an interesting niche area of law because once I got into it and I started doing contract work with her firm, I came to find that there were a lot of cases where it falls into the definition of a security and attorneys don't know that. Even investors don't know that. And especially in these local RIAs, they're selling a joint venture packet. Let me show you how to use my form to raise private money. And I'd go sit in these seminars as they are and cringe when I'd see things go up on the screen and ever so politely try to talk to the presenter afterwards and say, hey, you might want to check out this book or you might want to get a little bit more education because I don't think what you're doing is necessarily on the up and up. Sort of in the story of me walking through the securities, because I don't just set up funds, as you mentioned in the bio that I sent over, I have a lot of funds that I'm actually kind of quasi general counsel for. And what I found is that sometimes they'll get set up and the people set them up, say, okay, you're good. And they'll provide some support, but it's not really their focus at a boutique firm that just does syndication startup to necessarily provide the different support in different aspects in real estate, which the background that I have in real estate has been very helpful in making sure that we put the right risks in or different risks in that somebody might not think about. And I have a good idea of the numbers when I'm looking at somebody's investment. I can say, okay, these numbers work or they don't work. It's obviously not my job to give them business advice, but I'm not going to put somebody in a situation where they're going to fail or I think they're going to fail. I can appreciate that. It's helpful that you understand the numbers, that you understand the investing side of it and what that should look like, at least help give us some advice from your experience. But 
you mentioned that you've seen something on the screen or, or you've seen things like that at conferences that would make you just cringe. And can you give us an example? Yeah, I've seen it more on the local level than I have one of the major player conferences that you would go to that, that's actually focused on syndication. But typically in these local RIAs, I'll see somebody stand up and they'll call themselves a transaction engineer. And you need to go find private equity. And I've got a whole form of packets and joint venture agreements and notes that you can use and look at these things. And I go, oh my gosh, is this all you're giving to your investor? And I always hear the phrase, other people's money. Mm. Let me show you how to use other people's money. Those are investor funds. That's what other people's money is. And investor funds is a security. Ignorance of the law is no defense. And there's a lot of cases that I've been pulled on as litigation counsel where I've looked through. It'll be a series of notes that someone will have given to a certain individual to work through. And I go, well, you guys realize this is a securities violation, right? This isn't just you trying to recover on a note. Lawyers look at me and they go, what is that? And I, Chapter 517.302. It's a felony, actually, what they did. They can go to jail for this and we can push them in that direction by properly amending the complaint and bringing it that way. So I think it's very important for people to know what they're doing to educate themselves and understand and, and comply because, I mean, even the investigators here in the state of Florida, I mean, I work with them. I try to get them educated and make sure that they know where to look and what to look for and file administrative complaints. I've done a handful of those. And yeah, I would say that it's definitely something that has pretty huge ramifications if you don't do it right. And I would always suggest people go, I think you have everybody on your show that I've listened to in preparation for this. They have great information. And don't try to skirt the rules. Don't try to come up with something clever that you think, oh, <laughs> there's not a comma here, so I'm going to be able to do it this way. I mean, the definition of sale, I think it's four pages long, the federal law. It's multiple slides. And when I give a presentation on securities, I inevitably have a lot of upset people by the end of the presentation because they go, well, what do you mean? I thought I just would. And I'll quote a person who said, I just get a boot full of money from my partner and his friends. And then I just bring them a bigger boot full of money. And I thought, well, boot full of money, that's an interesting term. But I'm looking at that going, there's no, no, <laughs> that's wrong. Just make sure you comply. There's different exemptions. There's ways to do it the right way. And realize that when you're raising, whether it be a quarter of a million dollars or $10 million, that you need to comply. It's important. And you can get into trouble with this. So you had mentioned, or your your bio mentioned that you provide a traditional in-house counsel, a role to those who do not need a full-time attorney on staff. We talked about just like those that are getting started in the syndication business. And I just thought, can you elaborate on maybe some of the common issues that people have when they're first getting started in the syndication business and help us to be ready to overcome those hurdles? Well, there's a difference there. There's one when you're starting up and then there's another when you're ongoing. And so... To be able to continue with the ongoing support, at least in the state of Florida, because this is where I'm licensed, I can consult on any type of real estate issue. And I typically work with pretty smart people and they don't need to have an attorney sitting next to them and ask them every single question that they need. And once I can train them a little bit to issue spot on different areas, whether it be in multifamily, you're going to have different strategies when it comes to non-paying tenants, maybe different types of insurance claim issues that occur. So those types of things once I kind of bring them up to speed and they know how to issue spot, really, it becomes an easy phone call. It becomes a 15-minute, hey, let me run this by you. Is this something that you need to look at? And many times it's not, but they know sort of when something could be a problem. 
it's refreshing to have clients that way because what you don't want is somebody who you can't communicate with or that you're afraid to communicate with. Oh, I don't want him to send me a huge bill or I don't want him to ruin my day by telling me that what I'm doing is wrong or this is a bad idea. I hear people refer to some syndication attorneys as no men or yes men. Or, and so we don't want somebody that's just yes all the time either, right? That's very true. And I've worked with, I would say, other looser legal compliance officers, not always attorneys, and their answer to everything is yes. Yeah, sure. We can put that there. Yeah, sure. We can put that there. And then they want to know specifically why they can't. And as if the burden is back on me. And some of these times I just simply say to them, well, if you were in court and you were trying to explain this provision, and you were trying to explain this situation to a judge, a jury, even to opposing counsel, how do you expect that you know, this gobbledygook is going to make any sense? Because you're really off far into the weeds at this point. And just having a fresh look on the thing is important. And that's why we're paying somebody like yourself to help represent us as well if something happens, right? Well, absolutely. And I hope to never have to go to court. That's my idea with my client. Yeah, keep them out of court. You don't need to be there. And that's the interesting part. When I turned around and I started doing review work for people that were going to invest in syndications, and I would start looking through other people's PPMs and offering documents, it's a whole different perspective as somebody who started by drafting and I'm strictly complying with what the law needs to be to now I'm looking at other people not strictly complying. It's kind of the difference maybe between being a plaintiff and a defendant sometimes. And I go, well, I look these guys up on federal government. They're registered. I see that they have something here. But the problem is, is that they're using an exemption that doesn't exist. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they've got an attorney. Okay. Tell them that I'd like to talk to their attorney or ask them. And what I came to find out is that there were companies that were using old forms and they were just rehashing the forms. And in 2014, when the laws all changed, there were still pre-2014 forms out there. And they're passing it on to their investors saying, no, my attorneys reviewed all this. Well, yeah, maybe he did at some point, but not any time recently. Right. That's interesting you bring this up because I haven't had anyone talk about that as far as reviewing documents for the LP or the passive investor when they're ready to go into a deal taking that PPM to somebody, a private placement memorandum to somebody like yourself and saying, could you review this? Instead of just taking that sponsor's word for it, could you just elaborate on that process a little bit for that passive investor that's listening that says, well, you know, wait a minute, I didn't even think about taking those documents to somebody like yourself, to an attorney. And some, is this accurate or can I take their word for it? Is it what it should be? I will say it's interesting because they run the gamut. I mean, I've gotten... 400 page PPMs that are in archaic English that don't make a lot of sense. And a lot of those times I'll set a limit because I'm not going to just tell my client, I mean, this is all by the hour work that there's no other fair way to do it. And I'll normally say, look, in this many hours, I know I can tell you whether or not this is pretty much legit or they're not. Sometimes I've called and talked to people and sometimes it scares them away. As soon as they say, hey, my attorney would like to give you a ring. All of a sudden that person stops turning their phone calls and stops checking their email and and they kind of disappear. And I would say a nominal fee compared to the investment that is normally being asked for. It's a good security blanket. I would welcome that. Like I would want to know what you had to say about my PPM. And then obviously I'm going to talk to my attorney about it or get their take on it. It'd be great if you all could have a discussion about it, I would think. Yeah. And typically it is. And that's the beauty of the training that I've had through this is, I mean, it's been the best to the best is where I've got my training from. And again, I don't want to name names, but they're people that have been on your show. So the bar is set pretty high when I'm looking at your document. And I can even find, I mean, a lot of times 
an attorney finds a good provision in somebody else's document, and they take that provision. And all of a sudden, you start to see this document that's been cobbled together, and you go, okay, I think I know who wrote that provision, or I saw that in another one. And you start to really find out, okay, well, who's competent, who's not? But typically speaking, you can tell quickly if there's an attorney on the other side, a real attorney. And more often than not, I'll find that there'll just be no attorney on the other side. And these guys made a document up or they got something and tried to put it together themselves. And you start looking at the risks and the different languages put in there and you go, "Eh," you can start to spot the holdovers that you might find from other documents because after you set up enough, you start to kind of know what's going to change, what's not going to change every time in the documents. You know, that's really a risk as far as or a part of your due diligence, something that should be in your due diligence as a passive investor that I really haven't heard mentioned. That's why I find it interesting that you brought that up because it could be so important and paying you for an hour or two of your time could be so valuable if you were, this wasn't even done by an attorney or just saying, hey, my attorney would like to talk to your attorney talking to this person you're wanting to invest with. That could eliminate this deal for you right there and it could be such a blessing that that happened. Yeah. And you might just want to say that to anybody that you're going to invest with. Hey, my attorney wants to talk to your attorney and see if they run. That's interesting. Yeah. What would be something maybe that I could see in a PPM if I'm a passive investor looking at this? There are at least 100 pages. Like you said, sometimes 400. As somebody that's obviously not an attorney and I have read PPMs, it's hard to do, but I just educate myself. But anyway, What's something they could see maybe that you could help them with where just to raise that red flag initially to say, wait a minute, this probably isn't right. Well, first off, look for inconsistencies between the executive summary and then what's later on in the document. When you start to find those inconsistencies, you know that it's sloppy drafting and it's most likely not that had a set of eyes of legal eyes on it. Not to say that there's not potentially going to be a typo. I normally look at that. I look at the waterfall a lot of times and I'll kind of see, okay, does this make sense? Is it what the investor is telling me that they think that this deal is? And how is that written out? And then I'll look through the risks a lot and see if it's lacking any risks just based on my own real estate expertise, maybe where the property is located in the country. But I mean, if you're looking through it and you go, okay, well, this is a fund that's going to buy, that's going to flip foreclosures and they're going to operate all over the country. And there's nothing in there about litigation risk and buying a bad title, perhaps getting bad title through a foreclosure sale because you're not necessarily going to get clear title through something like that. You start to go, well, is there an attorney on the other side of this? And if so, hey, I'm going to improve his document immensely if we just have a quick conversation and I see everything that needs to be in place if there's an attorney on the other side. It's very, It's been very rare. I had one particular attorney that admittedly told me that he's never written a securities offering before and thought that it was just a form. And I said, all right, well, hey, look, this really isn't your cup of tea. It can be, but this isn't the way that you need to do it. I want to say that's only been once or twice. And what's interesting to me is that there are also sponsors that I've run into that want something to be a particular way that we can't set up. The structure doesn't work this way. And they'll keep on looking for attorneys to help them. And what I tell everybody is that if you keep looking for an attorney and waving money at them, you'll probably find somebody who'll take it and do something. But that's not best practices because if you have two or three people that are reputable in the industry and know what they're talking about saying, no, we can't set it up that way. And you just continue to look, look, look and find the guy who got out of law school three days ago and passed the bar. And you say, hey, I'm going to give you $25,000 to 
write what I want you to write, he might just do it. I haven't thought about it until now, but something as a passive investor, would it, could it be as simple as really asking the sponsor, what attorney did you use? Or what attorney are you using? Looking that attorney up before you even have to read the PPM. Would that be maybe a good place to start? That could be a good place to start. I think that you might come off a bit abrasive if you kind of come out that way and say, oh, well, who did you use? Let me look them up and let me look at their documents. But again, that's going to put a good smell test out there, I think. And if the person runs from it and they say, oh, no, because the flip side is the sponsor isn't going to want a bunch of investors calling their lawyer. I know that when I set up documents, I don't want investors calling my office. I don't even necessarily want their attorneys calling my office, but I will and I'll entertain any questions that they have, obviously. That's more time. If the person who's calling me is that family lawyer who's friends with them for a long time, it's my niece or cousin or daughter or dad or somebody, and they don't know anything about securities, we're not accomplishing anything at that point. Right. Robert, what's been really the hardest part of the syndication business for you? I think the hardest part sometimes is just kind of bringing people to the light to say, look, that joint venture is a security. That operating agreement that you have set up is a security. You can't have eight people in this agreement and these seven people do nothing and you do all the work. We look at the Howey test and we apply it and we say, at the end of the day, if you're the person that's doing all the work to get the security done to generate the profit, this is most likely going to be a security. And you guys are, you're putting yourself at risk of being felon. Is that worth it? And I think that's probably the hardest part. And you think that people just go, well, I want to be able to borrow money from my friends and we want to pull it together. And I go, well, unless you guys truly are partners in this business, you probably need to make sure that you qualify for an exemption. And the burden of proof is going to be on you to make sure that you qualified for it and don't blow it. You can go to these local shops and these local meetings and someone will stand up and say, hey, we just got an apartment building under contract. Oh, and we're looking for investors. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, I wonder if they have 506C offerings set up. I wonder if they know what that is. And it will happen every time. It'll happen at almost every RIA that I've gone to. That's bridging the gap there between somebody who's going to, we meet in Orlando, one of the RIAs meets at a local high school. So we need to go from the high school over to the Ritz-Carlton or wherever they're doing the real deal. Everybody's flying in to learn about syndication. The attorney's going to talk. We're going to talk about business and structure and do it that way. I see that on Facebook almost every day, but I don't have to go to the local RIA for that. Yeah, that's very low-hanging evidence, by the way, for all the investigators, because <laughs> that's what they tell me. What's a way that, from your opinion, that someone can improve their syndication business right now? Well, if you're just starting out, I would say get familiar with an exemption. Get familiar with how you're going to run your business. And one of the challenges that a lot of the newer clients, and we would convert a lot of different types of people into syndicators who wanted to move over into it. And, and some people had the network, some people didn't. The issue that people would come up to me with is they'd say, well, I don't have anything to sell. What am I supposed to offer my investors? Because I don't have anything under contract. And I always would tell them, I said, well, under a 506B exemption, it's a private placement. It's a private deal. It's not, you're not soliciting out to the public. And typically a 506B is what somebody wants to start with. I'm not going to hand them the keys to the Ferrari when they can't ride a bike know your exemption, understand that you can use the compliance to position yourself as somebody who's an expert or uh, somebody who's qualified. You can say, hey, look, this is what the law requires. I need to build that relationship with you before I can bring you into the deal, before I can even show you anything that I've done. And so I think that from somebody who's getting into the business, that's important. Somebody who's in the business now, I would say probably automation. Look for ways to automate 
whatever it is that you are getting hung up on, whether it's deal flow, whether it's a CRM system so that you can make sure that you're keeping track of your investors and keeping contact with them, I would say whatever portion of your business that can be automated, try to do that. That's great advice right there. I've worked on that a long time in mine and and it's a continuous thing. What can I hand to someone else? What can be done more efficiently like that? And what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I would say in the syndication world, it's it's the training. It's where I started, who helped me learn about all this business. I think that along with sort of the broad perspective of doing other areas of law and knowing about real estate, because it's easy for me to talk in terms of cap rates and vacancy and whatever it is that we're going to talk about on the real estate side, just as well as I can talk about a securities exemption. And then in the flip side, I can throw some case law out there at somebody in a statute and they're like, oh boy, okay, well, that's, that's a lot going on. You know, I've written title a lot, so I can spot the issues. You would suggest mentorship or mentoring or obviously being trained like yourself. Oh, absolutely. And there's education out there that's great. And I would say rely on experts. And when you need to, I go on forums and I see people looking for legal advice. My comment on the forum will be, hey, you should probably call a local attorney and find out exactly what you need to do to make sure that you're complying with the eviction law or whatever it is that you're looking to try to do. I mean, the internet's great. It's a double-edged sword because you can find the information that you need, but you may or may not know that it's accurate. And especially if you're coming at it from a fresh look, something that's new to you. I mean, it's worth calling a bunch of attorneys and trying to get a free consultation or paying a couple hundred bucks to go in, find somebody who really, really can tell you definitively with their reputation on the line, what is and what isn't. Nice. Yeah. You look hard enough online, you can find what you're looking for, but that may not mean it's accurate, right? So before we have to go though, Robert, how do you like to give back? Well, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I was just talking with someone in my office before your show started. And it's a situation where I'll do simple estate planning documents a lot of times at not such a profitable time per dollar for time. I try to help people with the things that they might need that I think are necessary that shouldn't cost a lot of money or really cost anything. And so it's kind of give things away for free that might not otherwise make me popular in the legal community. And just make sure that people are paying for what what they need to pay for. But as far as uh, your mom's in the hospital because she just fell and you need a power of attorney so that you can pay her mortgage next week. Okay, I'll see you in the hospital tomorrow sort of thing. Things like that that I do to give back on the legal side and do a lot of work with the local law schools, try to raise money for scholarships and get those young attorneys involved in professionalism. That's a big issue in lawyer world right now. I appreciate that, Robert. And I appreciate you being on the show and just your time. I like the turn that it took just helping the passive investor know what they need to know and some questions or things they should be looking for. And I don't hear investors talk about taking the PPM to an attorney or it sounds like it may be a good idea or something they should think about. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Yeah, you can see me on my website. It's a propertylawfl.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Say the web address one more time. Propertylawfl.com, www.propertylawfl.com. All right, Robert. Well, thank you again. And that's going to be the end of the show today. And we appreciate uh, Robert. uh, And I hope the listeners will reach out to you, Robert, or look to use you in the future for their syndications. And I will talk to everybody tomorrow. I hope you are joining the Facebook group and you are asking questions. And I hope you'll go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me as well. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show. 
Brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital. Making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.